Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. Hope you guys are all doing well. I feel as though I've started off these episodes the past few weeks saying I'm overwhelmed, life is crazy, I'm really sad, things like that. And I must say, I must report this week, I am like on the upswing, okay? I feel, I don't want to jinx myself because I did hear at the gym this morning that there's a full moon tonight or something. So I don't know what that means, but (laughs) this girl was doing squats next to me or something and she was like having a hard time with it and said, oh, you know, a full moon tonight or something. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, okay. That's got to be it. But um, I, I must say though, regardless of the full moon, regardless of how I felt the past few weeks, this week has been really good. So far, I feel like it's almost kind of like a juggling situation where I'm like constantly trying to keep the oranges up in the air that I'm juggling each week. And some weeks they splatter on the ground. And this week I feel like they're in the air. You know, I feel like everything, I'm juggling a lot of things at once all the time. Work, social life, just, I don't know, doing my laundry, doing things around my house, like all the things, all the plates that were spinning. There's so many things that we do in a week and I feel like I must report that this week it's going well because I feel like I I really do focus on talking about the the negatives sometimes because it's easier to just, you know, vent, but you always worry when you say things are going well that you're either going to jinx yourself or people are you're going to bore people to death or come across as conceited, you know, because that's just kind of how we've been conditioned to feel. So, anyway, I just want to say that if you are feeling like you have some wins this week, honor those wins, talk about them. Don't worry if you're coming across as conceited because I just feel like we focus so much on the negativity that we can't even celebrate our wins anymore. Obviously, ask other people about their wins, but that's just that's just how I feel. So anyway, today's episode is going to be a good one. I actually have a little mystery for you guys, a little... Uh, little story from history that has a little mysterious element to it. And actually, one of you lovely people DM'd me about this story. I didn't even know it existed. So thank you to whoever um, sent me this as a submission that I should talk about this because I have a lot of thoughts about said story that I'm going to get into. But first, I just want to kind of do like an old-fashioned classic you know, OG thick and thin, just let's talk about my life and particularly maybe my dating life because there have been some developments. And you guys, I've said this before, you guys, my thick and thin listeners are my people. I feel like we have a little little army here of like-minded individuals that feel very deeply and are curious and intellectually advanced. I hope. So I just want to give you guys the update. You guys deserve the tea. You guys deserve my updates because I I feel like this is my safe space. Like podcasting, if anyone out there is a podcaster, they know that it's just so much easier to share updates in your life that aren't superficial updates, I guess, or like very top line, very vague, like more specific updates are easier to share on a podcast, I feel, because you can't see my face. And for some reason, I just feel like I can share more on the podcast. I've been known to disclose a lot more on a podcast. I mean, I literally made a whole episode about orgasms. So, you know, that's just how it is on the podcast. So I want to give you guys the inside scoop on my dating life right now because people are always interested and I only tell the people that matter most to me and that is you guys. So I I think like a few months ago made a very conscious decision 
I haven't really been journaling as much as I had in the past. Like I used to journal so, so, so much more. I want to make more time for it. But as of now, I've just been kind of when I have a remarkable day in terms of like something happened or I had this like epiphany moment, I whip out this journal and I just scribble it down. Nothing like super cute. I used to do the the scrapbooking thing. I got to get back into it. That's one of my goals, but I'm just too darn busy and too darn tired at the end of the day to do that anymore. But a few months ago, I made a little list of sorts in this journal that I have. And I'm too lazy to go get it right now, but I'm just going to paraphrase. Basically, it was my uh, like a checklist of sorts for my dating life because I feel for the last like 26 years of my life, literally, I'm turning 27 this year, for the last 26 years of my life, maybe, okay, maybe less than that because there were certain years of my life when I wasn't even thinking about boys or dating or love or anything. I was just a kid, you know? So for like a long time, I've really been very, I I just don't know what I want and I haven't known what I've wanted. And I think the reason for that is I'm a scatterbrain half the time. Like things are just all over the place with my thoughts and my feelings. And I don't really know. I need to write them down for them to make sense. I've never made like a checklist of things that I want in a person before. I, I never thought to do that. And I've heard other people do it, but I thought it was just like kind of silly. And so I did that like a few months ago. Okay. And I wrote down some attributes of a person, maybe less physical and more like emotional and just what's inside of them, I guess, and how they are. And I wrote down things I don't know where this book is right now. It's like in a drawer or I'd get it. But it was basically along the lines of I want someone who is really good at communication, can really communicate their feelings, is cheerful, positive, like with a optimistic sort of outlook on life, isn't someone that complains all the time about things and people and like life isn't fair, like that sort of – I mean obviously there's a time and place for everything – But I feel that I've, you know, without knowing it, have gotten involved with people in the past who are just super negative. And like after a stressful day, all I want to do is talk about, I mean, we can like delve into more sensitive things, but I don't want to be constantly talking about or talking this guy off a ledge in terms of like he's so pissed about his job or he's so pissed about like talking shit about his friends and stuff like that. Like I don't want that. And I've realized that. I want someone who is positive most of the time. Okay. Is it that too much to ask? Like you don't have to be talking about like sunshines and rainbows, but don't be so negative all the time. And I, that is something I've realized through trial and error. That is something I want. So I wrote on that. I wrote on stuff like they're emotionally intelligent and curious about the world and just lots of stuff like that. Adventurous with things, is willing to meet me where I am with certain things. Like just little things like that. Okay. I wrote down this stuff in a journal and tucked it away. And I think I had like a few martinis before I did that. So I kind of forgot that I even did it until I was in the shower a few days ago thinking on this because I met someone who very much reflects all of those things. And it was via a dating app. I don't want to jinx it. I've discussed a little bit about this on the podcast, on my other podcast, I mean, on my Match Made in Manhattan podcast with Colby and Adam, my friends. So if you guys want details on our first date, you guys can go listen to that podcast. It's the most recent episode. But anyway, I just wanted to say in the beginning of this episode that I do feel as though my energy is so positive and good this week because of this person 
not entirely, but I think it's more so maybe less the person, but more so the fact that I wrote down these things and I've been looking for these things, I guess, my whole life without knowing it. And it is possible to find those things in a person. Granted, I haven't known him very long. Granted, it could totally go nowhere. But just feeling that, is it like reaffirmed? Is that the word? Or my, like, you know, it's not all a fairy tale. Like things could be possible. Like these things, like you shouldn't have to settle because if you make a list, you will eventually find someone who has those things, who has everything that your ex-boyfriend had plus the good stuff that you actually want. Like those sorts of things. Like that energy is something that we should consider because I was feeling so down in the dumps the past few weeks. I mean, it wasn't always, you know, all because of my romantic life. It was a lot of it because of work and I've been stressed at work or stressed like managing my to-dos and things like that. But it definitely has helped to have someone who talks me through things. Like I've been able to talk to him about work and about my insecurities. And I just don't think I've ever been like in something with someone who is emotionally intelligent and I think I it's hitting me now like I'm realizing and I think a lot of it is because many people I don't just want to say guys but many people don't need to be emotionally intelligent to be in a relationship you don't need to be but it certainly helps and for someone like me who has a lot of feelings and likes to talk about them. <laughs> like it's very open about how I feel and stuff like that. I need someone who matches that energy. I can't be guessing all the time. And I realized that with the guessing game, that takes a toll on me and it affects all areas of my life. If I'm playing the guessing game, like wondering if they're into me, wondering how they feel about me, wondering if I can talk about work with them. If I'm stuck wondering in that way, it seriously, it takes up time and energy from all the other things that I do in a day because I am not fully there. I'm not fully focused on what I'm doing in my work with my friends, just going to pick out toilet paper at the store, like all of those things. I'm not fully there if I'm, if half my brain is spent wondering if someone cares about me. And I'm so sick of doing that. I'm so sick of because I am I am a great person, okay? I am a good, smart person. And so are you. We do not deserve. We are we are way too powerful and way too interesting to spend time wondering if someone thinks that we're powerful and that we are interesting among other things. We should not have to wonder. And it's one of those things where that's I know and I've known for a while that that's what I deserve, but I just didn't think it was possible to find someone that has those sort of qualities but also I'm attracted to and also is funny and like has other things you know that isn't too serious and I don't know I don't know where this is gonna go we'll see take it day by day obviously but I also have realized in myself that I don't know how to act <laughs> in situations like these where I'm finally getting someone that is emotionally intelligent and that sees me and that appreciates me like this and is able to articulate it I have noticed in myself that it's, I mean, it's going to take some getting used to, I guess, because I am not used to that sort of, I, I don't know what to say to it. You know what I mean? Like when someone compliments me in some way like this, I i am truly so bad at receiving compliments. I never know what to say. I've never known what to say. What do you say? Can someone help me out? Because I don't know. And when it's with someone who is just really forward about how they feel about you, I like I stutter. I don't know what to say. So I need to work on that. But 
updates to come. <laughs> anyway, so that is that is uh, why I'm in a good mood. And from there, we are going to segue because I'm done talking about this. I just don't want to get too deep in the details because if it all crashes and burns, well, I guess, you know, we're in it together, right? I feel like a lot of my life has been online and we've learned through things together. So that's kind of special, right? Anyway, I have a story for you guys today about an author, about an author that you might know very well because she is the best-selling novelist of all time, outsold only by the Bible and by Shakespeare. Agatha Christie is best known for her 66 detective novels and 14 short story collections, as well as the world's longest-running play, The Mousetrap. But did you guys know? Did you know? Hold on to your hats. Agatha Christie briefly disappeared without a trace for 11 days. And though she passed away back in 1976, people are still trying to figure out exactly what she did and where she went during those 11 days. And the full truth died along with her, it seems. So let me tell you the story and we can make our own hypotheses afterwards about what we think happened and why. So it was just after 9.30 p.m. on Friday, December 3rd, 1926. 36-year-old Agatha Christie got up from her armchair and climbed the stairs of her house in Berkshire, a county in southeast England. She crept into her seven-year-old daughter Rosalind's room, kissed her goodnight, and quietly made her way back down the stairs again. Then she climbed into her little car, a gray bottlenosed Morris Cowley two-seater, and drove off into the night. She would not be seen again for 11 days. So a little bit of background for you. Agatha Christie, she was a murder mystery writer. She was in the middle of divorcing her first husband, Archie. He turned out to be this narcissistic, cruel, misogynistic, emotionally abusive guy, so Agatha sought to get out of the marriage. So she was dealing with that, but then she was also dealing with the aftermath of the death of her mother and working through all of those emotions. So she was just, you know, going through it, as many of us do in our lives, but it was a double whammy of her husband was horrible and her mother had just died. So when she disappeared into the night and her beloved car was found the following morning, abandoned not far from this place called Silent Pool, which was a haunted spring-fed lake that Agatha had actually written about and used in her novels. So because of this, because of her disappearance, people had a lot of theories about what had happened and why she left, given all the stuff in her personal life, given her novels and the way that she literally writes murder mysteries. People were like, oh my God, something sinister happened. I mean, after all, her husband Archie had actually spent the weekend with his mistress, Nancy Neal, and then later told the New York Times that his wife was essentially suffering from a nervous breakdown, and that's why she went off. So, you know, people naturally pointed fingers at him, and it was actually a random civilian named Jack Best who found Agatha's car early on a Saturday morning when he was out walking his dog. The car was stuck on a grassy embankment near the lake with its back wheels in the air. The driver's door was wide open and the lights were still on. Clothes were scattered all over the seats. And when fans heard about this, about this car, about the husband with the mistress, like all of this stuff, you know, people could not help but connect the dots from this mysterious incident to her novels, 
right? Like, was this a publicity stunt? Was she taken? Was her husband the killer? Like, what happened? So naturally, people, it started a total frenzy. A hundred policemen, tracker dogs, and thousands of civilians combed the British countryside searching for Agatha. And the lake was dragged for a body, not once, but twice, and nothing was found. Fans were determined to solve this real-life mystery, though. Where had Agatha gone? Why had she left? Did she leave by her own free will or something a little bit spookier? So they even read her novels, like reread her novels looking for clues and continued to search for little over a week. Like I said, they dragged the lake again, but still no body turned up. But there was a letter found and I saw conflicting things online about where the letter was indeed found, but it could have been by her husband's brother or floating in the lake somewhere. Like people have invented different things, but basically there was a letter found, which was supposedly written by Agatha herself saying that she went off to a spa, but no one really believed that. I think they had a bad taste in their mouth about the husband. People always think it's the husband that did it. You know, it's just a thing in any crime drama that I've ever seen. People always blame the husband. I mean, he had a younger mistress who he probably wanted to run off with, but Agatha already wanted to divorce him. He was already going to be set free. So I don't know what it was. Maybe he wanted to claim her money because she did have some money at the time because of the writing. I don't know. So people, you know, took this letter with a grain of salt. They were like, okay, this letter could potentially not even be written by Agatha. It could be her husband trying to cover up what he'd done. So people discredited the letter. 11 days after her disappearance, Agatha finally turned up or she was discovered after 11 days off the grid. It was the 14th of December, 1926, and Agatha Christie, famous murder mystery writer, was found alive and well at an upmarket spa hotel in Yorkshire. She'd given the hotel staff a fake name or a pseudonym of Mrs. Teresa Neal from Cape Town. And this is an interesting choice of pseudonym considering her soon-to-be ex-husband's mistress name was Nancy Neal. So she gave the name Mrs. Teresa Neal, but Nancy Neal was the mistress. So it's very interesting why she chose that. Maybe like a F you to her husband, but it definitely kept her hidden in plain sight. When she was found and questioned, Agatha supposedly had no memory of the last 11 days. She never mentioned the event ever again, even in her autobiography. And when she was asked about her first marriage to Archie in said autobiography, she said, there is just no need to dwell on it. It was like the disappearance and the marriage never happened. While Agatha was super tight-lipped on the whole situation, everyone else had a lot to say about it, even years and years later. The fact that she was found alive and well at a spa angered so many of her fans. They claimed that she did it as a publicity stunt to promote her novels. They they were just kind of hoping for something juicier, even at the expense of Agatha's life. Like they probably, they wanted it to be like one of her novels, which is kind of crazy that they would expect that. Like they would want that over her returning alive and well. They They wanted her to have been investigating something. Like a lot of people said that they theorized that she was investigating a real life murder or something like they had so many theories but most people just thought she was having an emotional nervous breakdown like her husband said can't a woman just disappear 
if she wants to, kind of take a pause from her life, just put everything on hold so she can deal with her current emotions and manage her stress, just go off the grid, do some deep thinking without the world getting in the way. Like, can't she just do that? I don't know. I guess not. Even back in 1926, before social media, like, guess not. The story of Agatha's disappearance has made me consider and think a lot about those days where I just get so overwhelmed. Like the past few weeks, I've been so overwhelmed with work and stuff and managing things and just making everyone happy around me and trying to carry on even though things were going south in certain relationships and things like that. So, you know, when I'm super overwhelmed like that, I really do. I consider for even just like a hot second what it would be like to just disappear. Not, you know, do anything harmful to myself, but just go away for a bit, like really go away. Not on a vacation where I'm taking photos of myself and I'm trying to prove to everyone that I'm having a great time. Just disappear. Just escape from my life. Take a pause. Take a break. Take a day off or maybe a week off <laughs> from just my my life, you know? And like I said, I feel like even on vacation, I feel like I'm so in it in terms of my life and work and keeping up appearances and social media and all that. I just, I dream on those really hard days of just going, going off to a faraway cottage without any internet or cell reception and just journal, read books, not set any alarms, just like let just be alone with myself. That's what I want. Maybe, you know, read some Agatha Christie while I'm at it, or maybe not because it might be scary to be alone and reading murder mystery novels in a cottage in the woods. But, you know, sometimes I just want to take a break from all of this. It gets just so overwhelming sometimes. So I understand why Agatha did it. She likely hit her breaking point with a divorce, the death of her mother, all the stress of work, and decided to just get away. And let's not forget, she did leave a note and I'm assuming, you know, she left it in the car and it just blew away. I mean, there's still, there's so many loose ends here. Why was her car left like that? Did she get in a car accident and then just decide that she was so over it and walked to the to the inn or wherever, the, the spa? I don't know. There's so many things that we wonder. And it seems with Agatha's silence on it that she didn't want to remember it at all. Like she was just so over it. Maybe she just hit her breaking point and wanted to get away. And, just, you know, we have those moments. Sometimes I have those moments where I'm so frustrated and life is just really hard and one little thing goes wrong and I just break down. Like, have you ever had that happen? Like one minor inconvenience just stacked on top of a teetering tower of inconveniences and frustrations and sadness. Just it's the straw that broke the camel's back. Like maybe her getting in this car accident or near car accident. I guess it was. Yeah, it was an accident. She didn't die though. Like she was, the car was teetering on the edge of this embankment by this symbolic lake that she writes about in her stories. Maybe she took it as a sign that she just needs to take a break. She needs to get away. And honestly, I relate to her so, so much. I don't know why people are so pressed. I mean, obviously people wanted there to be a juicier reason for it. People always want to add fuel to a fire that doesn't even exist. They want to invent something where there is nothing. And even at the expense of the person themselves, I think we often forget that celebrities, Agatha Christie was and is a celebrity, celebrities are real people. They are. And imagine just 
hitting, like being in this place where you are so sad over two things, two events, your husband being horrible and sleeping with a younger woman while you are going through the death of your mother. Imagine feeling that way and then going off, deciding you need to have 11 days of just R&R and leaving a note, attempting to let people know where you are. This is before cell phones, obviously. Going to a spa and then having people, when they figure out where you are, feel so upset that there wasn't something juicier, that they couldn't solve a mystery. It's so selfish, honestly. And people's obsession with like what she did during those 11 days, like does it matter what she did during those 11 days? Maybe she just like walked around and I don't know, like sang some songs. Who the heck cares? I mean, maybe she solved a mystery. Maybe, I mean, we truly will never know, but it just, this story really is just, it's so relatable and so interesting at the same time. I think if she wasn't a murder mystery writer, maybe things have been, would have been different, but people were so, they were rereading her books, looking for clues. They thought that she was leaving like breadcrumb clues in the book about where she was. People, everyone wanted to figure out where she was and solve the mystery. And the reason, it's such an interesting thing here because Agatha Christie wrote these novels. She created these mysteries only for them to be used on her at a later date when she was going through a really tough period of her life. I mean, she went on to read or write so many more novels after this. She was only 36 at this this point. But I just, I understand why she did it. I understand why she needed to get away. And I just think it's so crazy that she was able to, like there were hundreds of police officers, thousands of civilians looking for her. And it took 11 days. It was like hide and seek. She was fully hiding in plain sight. She just walked right out of her life. She used a fake name at this hotel, potentially staged a car crash or maybe actually got in a car crash. Who knows about that? You know, and she just, she was able to hide in plain sight. She was fully just hanging out at a spa, collecting herself, putting her pieces back together, getting back to being herself in plain sight under this other person's name. I just, I feel like sometimes I'm hiding in plain sight. And it can sometimes be easy. Like if you go out and decide in New York City, okay? Because in New York, I think you can truly leave the house in whatever ensemble, whatever state you want to be in and no one looks at you funny. Like no one – yesterday I was taking photos in West Village in – it was 17 degrees yesterday, I will say. Very cold. And I was strutting around in a athleisure set. It was a top – like a bra top and leggings because I had to for this brand campaign. I sucked it up. I had this um, lovely girl from NYU helping me shoot it. Her name is Stella and she was holding my coat, holding my parka and we were taking photos like in the middle of the street and really no one looked at me funny. One guy was like applauded. He, he was like, I can't even handle the cold and he was wearing like a massive parka. So he did comment one thing, but no one is ever going to look at you funny for like anything in New York City, really truly. And I always think back to Marilyn Monroe, there was this one photographer that wrote this article about Marilyn early in her career. And I I tried really hard, guys. I wrote this down in my notes and I tried to figure out, like find the article and I can't find it. I think it must have been on Tumblr or something, like a photo caption. But I'm just going to paraphrase what I think it said because this has stuck with me for a very long time. So basically, this photographer was following Marilyn around New York and took photos of her her, like in the subway, like on the subway platform. And 
essentially said that Marilyn had said that she can turn the Marilyn persona on and off because many of us know she wasn't born Marilyn Monroe. She was born Norma Jean and she could essentially say, she said that she could turn on and off her Marilyn persona and revert back to Norma Jean. So, and it's all about just how she how she carried herself. Like it wasn't like she really changed her appearance all that much. It was how she carried herself because Marilyn had a very specific way and her Marilyn persona had a very specific way of carrying herself. And so she demonstrated for the photographer just, you know, being Marilyn and people were like flocking to her, like noticed her and wanted to get her autograph and take photos with her. And then she turned it off and people walked right by her without knowing it was her. And this just shook me because it's really, you can, even as Marilyn Monroe, hide in plain sight if you want to. And you can kind of just sink back into yourself and and just be, I, I feel like it's all about the confidence that you exude. It's all about the the way that you speak without speaking in public to be seen. So if you don't want to be seen, there's ways around that. And I wonder all the time how many celebrities I walk by in New York that I just don't notice because they aren't, they don't want to be seen. You know? It's really interesting food for thought here. Very interesting food for thought. So that is the story of Agatha Christie's 11-day mysterious disappearance. Who the heck knows where she went and who the heck cares because she came back to after this, she worked on herself, she eventually remarried, she wrote more books, and now she is literally the best-selling novelist of all time. So sometimes you just need that, that pause and it should not be a selfish thing to take it. So that is just some good old-fashioned food for thought from me to you <laughs> for today. I have absolutely no idea what I will title this episode because it really was a hodgepodge, but definitely kept you on your toes, right? Talking about my life, potential dating situation, plus the disappearance of Agatha Christie, murder mystery novelist. Speaking of actually, wait, before I go, I do want to say I'm about to start reading this book. I know people always ask me to give book recommendations. This is a book that I just ordered from my book club. So I haven't started reading it yet, but it's called My Sister, the Serial Killer. And it's by Oyinkin Braithwaite. It's a very hard name to say, but I hope I did okay. Um, and I want to read the like synopsis of it, I guess, or like what, what it's about. So Karide's sister, Ayula, is many things. The favorite child, the beautiful one, possibly sociopathic. And now Ayula's third boyfriend in a row is dead, stabbed through the heart with Ayula's knife. Karide's practicality is the sister's saving grace. She knows the best solutions for cleaning blood, the best way to move a body, and she keeps Ayula from posting pictures to Instagram when she should be mourning her missing boyfriend, not that she gets any credit. Karide has long been in love with a kind, handsome doctor at the hospital where she works. She dreams of the day when he will realize that she's exactly what he needs, but when he asks Karide for a Eula's phone number, she must reckon with what her sister has become and how far she's willing to go to protect her. So it's really just, what the heck is that about? Marie Claire says it's a taut and darkly funny contemporary noir that moves at lightning speed. It's the wittiest and most fun murder party you've ever been invited to. So it's really like, who the heck knows? This is definitely not an Agatha Christie novel. It might have some like humor in there, but 
it's apparently 200 pages. So the book club is very excited. We'll breeze through this and be able to talk about it because the last few books that we've read as a book club have been a little bit too long and not everyone has finished them. So it's been kind of like a lackluster conversation, but this will be good. So I'll let you guys know um, what I think of this book. But again, it's My Sister, The Serial Killer by Oyinkin Braithwaite. Braithwaite. I don't know how to say that, but Anyway, that is it for today's episode, guys. Thank you for listening to this hodgepodge of things. And I will talk to you all next Thursday with another fun story or two or three or who the heck knows what I'll come up with for next week. But like I said at the top of the episode, if you guys want another podcast to listen to from me, definitely check out Match Made in Manhattan. It's my podcast with my friend Adam and Colby. It's about dating in New York, other relationships, like relationships of any kind in New York matches made and matches not made. So definitely check it out. Match made in Manhattan. It's on the podcast app and on Spotify. And that is it for this episode. Thank you for listening, guys. Bye. Bye.